This is the MLW Radio Network. Hey, everybody, welcome to Overbooked with Mike Freeland. Welcome to the Sabu Scar Silence and Super Glue. It is the book club, overbooked, whatever you'd like to refer to it as. My name is Mike Freeland. Thank you so much for tuning in. I do appreciate it. It's uh, It's been a while since we've done overbooked, and I miss it in a way. It was a lot of fun doing the last book, and then obviously due to some unforeseen circumstances that uh, wasn't able to continue. But you know what? We're back. As we announce on Front Row Material that we are reading the Sabu book, as mentioned, Scars, Silence, and Superglue. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read the foreword, and then we're going to go ahead and jump into chapter one. So if you have the book, you can follow along with me. I don't typically read too fast. I don't read typically too slow, and hopefully I pronounce the words correctly. But if I do happen to make a few mistakes, I do apologize in advance. Um, let's go ahead and we'll jump right in here. The foreword is by Rob Van Dam, and this is what Rob writes. Sabu was always there for me, ever since day one. Back in December of 1989 was the first time I met Sabu. Our friend Samson, whom I had known through bagging groceries, set up the deal for a tryout. So we were off to the Sheik's garage in the middle of a cold winter. When I walked in, I was looking at a wrestling ring that was cut in half to fit in a mechanic's garage. That was really weird. It was something like an 8 by 16 long rectangle. Sheik was there. I was a little intimidated at first, and then realized that I wasn't going to be working out with him or anything, but rather someone else. I didn't know who this hippie was that was in the ring with me. Sabu had long, bushy hair, like an afro almost, and it didn't look like how he looks now. He was a lot smaller. I was smaller, too. I was 185 pounds, I think. Wow, now I'm probably around 235. I didn't want to be rude and ask the sheik who was this dude in the ring with me. I thought if he was the one who was going to be training with me, well, that's the way it was going to be. So I remember I eyeballed Sabu up and down and tried to figure out just who he was. At this point, I was all of 18 years old. All we got for wrestling on TV was WWF. I didn't even know there was an independent scene. I looked at Sabu, wondered if he was someone who had wrestled with a mask like Mr. X or the Conquistador. Well, after a few minutes of following the commands from the man outside of the ring, it didn't matter who was in the ring with me, we started training and we immediately clicked. Sabu, for as long as I can remember, was always hurting himself because of the crazy stuff he would try. Maybe that's how he built up his huge tolerance for pain. I don't know. What I do know is that in the few of us who had trained with him, we all figured out he wouldn't be happy until he was in a wheelchair. One time during our training together, 
when the Sheik wasn't around, I remember wanting to work on some crazy stuff myself. I wanted to learn how to do a jumping, spinning back kick out of the turnbuckle. Sabu knew I was a kickboxer, so when I told him I wanted to learn how to do this off-the-rope stuff, it didn't seem too odd. It didn't even strike him as weird. So, how do I do it? I asked. Just try it, he said. Sabu's answer was just to try it. I didn't realize at that time, but there were no rules. Nobody was doing that kind of shit at that time, so asking Sabu how to do it wasn't really going to get me anywhere. I wasn't hesitant, though, because I didn't want to hurt the Sheik's main guy and get any heat, you know? But I mean, how? I haven't done it before, and I don't want to hit you too hard. Ah, just do it, he said. You don't want to, like, break your jaw? Well, when you do it, he said, just try not to break my jaw. (laughs) I laughed at his fearlessness, but he was serious. Look, you can do it. And if it doesn't work at first, and you do break my jaw, we'll just try a few weeks later after it heals. And then we'll try it again, he said. You understand? I nodded. Right on, he said. So we went over to the corner. We lined up the whole thing. I jumped up a few times to practice where my feet were going to land. Then I went through the motion with nobody there. Once I had it figured out, Sabu stepped right in, offering his face as the target. I took a breath. I ran up. I did my thing, and bang. And he was right. I could do it. I was all proud of myself for a moment, until I looked down at the mat. After that, Sabu was eating through a straw for a few weeks. Now, just as he said before, he was a man of his word. It would be another three weeks before he let me try it again. But Sabu was right. He would help me get the courage to finally do it right. I owe Sabu for that. Incidentally, that was the same kick that would eventually knock Abyss's teeth out when I was in TNA. Another cool Sabu training story is that I remember illustrating Sabu's superhuman threshold for pain that happened that summer. When we had full ring set up in the Sheik's backyard, Sabu came up to me and said, My uncle isn't around, he said. immediately knew what he meant. That was code for we didn't have to worry about basics and we could do some crazy stuff. Sheik never said this is how you don't hurt your opponent or this is how to bump like this. Sheik only wanted us to see working, the basics when we were training. That meant a lot of lockups, go-behind combos, the pinfall attempts after every big move every time. He believed in us believing in the sport of it. In a real match, you would go for the pin whenever you could. You'd try to win the match, right? Today, I really appreciate him drilling the basics into us. However, when he would go to answer the phone, we would immediately jump off the top rope. See, I want to practice diving through the ropes, Sabu said when his uncle walked away. Can you stand there in the grass so I have a target, but move right before I hit you? What the fuck, I asked. Why? I want to practice my fall, he said. I want to dive through the ropes and land. You mean on your ribs? Well, like a belly flop. The audience is going to pop, and it looks like it really hurts. But that's the thing. It will actually hurt, I said, chuckling back. Are you sure about this? Anyhow, Sabu lined himself up, and I got into position just as he asked. He bounced off the ropes, and I moved out of the way at the last second. Now, he came right at me, graceful as a swan. He kept himself opened, and yes, it looked like hell, just like he wanted. Splat. He knocked the wind right out of himself. I told you so. I told you so. I said, running over to Sabu, who was gasping for air. As soon as he caught his breath, he stumbled to his feet and held his ribs. Sabu was coughing and probably had a broken rib. His eyes were watering, and he patted me on the shoulder. Let's try it again, he said. 
We were so stiff. Our little crew of Samson, Dango, Judge Dredd, Sabu, and me, we were the only ones who could handle these beatings. The other guys would come and hang around for a day or two, maybe even a week, if we were lucky enough, but they'd all eventually quit because we were just so stiff. We literally beat the living shit out of each other until we were dead. Once we got going, the first real territory tour I did was in the USWA in Memphis. I was probably only really had 12 matches or so before this, and I was really, really new. We literally had no money in there, coming up with paying our dues. I remember crashing with Sabu, four or five other guys from the gym in a small shitty hotel room. It was something like $28 a night at the Jefferson Days Hotel in Indiana. What we would do is move the box springs from underneath the bed and lay them both on the floor. Then we would just sleep on the mattress. Sometimes it was so bad we would rent space out to the other workers for the show. This is how we end up meeting Landstorm. Who is sleeping in my room? Sabu said one night, stepping over the new Canadian. I was like the only baby face in our crew, and therefore, at least, I could sell my pictures to the fans during intermission. But our other guys made literally nothing. We almost had no money. But Sabu often the first to buy something to eat with what little he had. Sabu was all about survival, outside and in the ring. I remember one time in a barbed wire match in Japan, what really impressed me was Sabu's ability to improv. Now, I don't mean in calling spots and all what he did. I mean, it was his ability to do whatever he had to do to make the best of a bad situation. I remember one time he got a massive cut from one of the barbs, but he didn't freak out. He had the wherewithal to see that he was going to bleed to death. So he just calmly ripped the athletic tape off of his wrist to close up his arm, and then he finished the match. He just bit into the tape with his teeth and rewrapped all over the wound. Now, how many battles do you have to do to build up the knowledge to be able to do something like that? That's kind of an instinct, right? Speaking of crazy injuries, one time Sebu went down from a vicious Sandman whack on the head. When he came back to the locker room, Sabu looked drunker than the bastard that just hit him, and he didn't yet have anything to drink. He was floating in and out of consciousness, and it was obvious that he had a bad concussion. After falling over one too many times, the medic scooped him up onto a gurney and started to wheel him over to the ambulance. Sabu rolled off. No, he said to the medics trying to help him. Rob, don't let them take me. Then, as quickly as he said that, he went back to being unconscious. The medics picked him back up again and put him on the stretcher with wheels and headed right back towards the ambulance. Sabu rolled off again. No, Rob, he said, calling for me. I said, don't let them take me. If you can't stay awake, I won't, I said. He said that before immediately closing his eyes and passing out once again. Incidentally, I rode over to the hospital with himself that night. I have never met anyone who loved wrestling as much as Sabu. When he was making great money and really needed the time off, he didn't want to slow down even for a bit, even for a little break. He would continue to take bookings, even when ECW was off for a weekend. When everybody else was resting, he was really, he was amazing in that way. Sabu and I are the last of an old school. It is a whole different thing today. Today, if the curtain got jerked open, people would think wrestlers are all friends and that we all love each other, and that's how it was. But it wasn't like that. When Sabu and I would go to Japan, there was always a lot of crazy stuff going on. You could say that wrestling was supposed to be fake, but back in the day, especially over in Japan, 
There was a lot of brutal competitive shit going on in the ring every night. If we were working one of those trademark clusterfuck Japanese tag matches with massive teams, Sabu and I would stand out on the apron waiting for our turn and figure out how to throw their own competitive crap right back at them. We would just talk about blowing up guys and not tagging in and staying away from certain guys on the other side of the ring. And Sabu didn't give a shit, and that was what I loved about him. When he had to, he was a real treat to work with. Another time in ECW... We were at a venue in Boston. We were very old school, as you know, and kayfabe was still very much a big thing. It's not like now where everybody and their mom goes through. Back then, we didn't just let anyone come into our locker room. Admittance was only on a need-to-be basis. Outsiders could expose the business. Anyhow, we were talking about our match, and then all of a sudden, a concession guy that worked for the hall excused himself and walked right between our little discussion. Who the fuck was that? Sabu said, pissed off. He ignored the offense the first time. But the second time the vendor took a shortcut through our dressing room, Sabu was right there to give him the business. Fuck you, hot dog man. Go around. While he was trying to pop the boys, he was actually serious at that time. He didn't want anyone coming in there. We went back to discussing the show until the third time the guy came through. Still not taking the hint, Sabu politely excused himself from our conversation and literally pushed him out the door, returning like nothing had happened. Finally, however, Sabu had had enough. On the final shortcut event, Sabu smacked the vendor's tray right out of his hands, and the boy went running. Sabu shrugged, unwrapped the foil on one of the hot dogs, and started eating it. Sabu was like the leader of the pack. Being on the road with him was like camping with your family as a kid. Once he got his Winnebago, we would all drive and get in until we couldn't drive anymore. Then we would sit in lawn chairs and we would just sit in the sun in a parking lot. It was funny to see him cooking those little redneck kitchenettes, fully dressed in his gimmick. The mobile home was a monster. I don't know how many fenders we pulled off of cars squeezing down that little skinny streets in Queens. Not only did Sabu teach me firsthand how to actually wrestle, but he also taught me the ways of the industry. That included a lot. When I first got to ECW, he said... Those guys were the shits. These guys are good. I took that for a fact before I eventually learned how to analyze the talent better, and eventually, I learned he was right. When I say Sabu showed me the ways of the business, I don't mean just like etiquette or how to protect the business, but actually how to handle my business itself. Sabu taught me my value. If it wasn't for him telling me I was better than everyone else and that we were on another level, I wouldn't have known and I probably would have settled for peanuts, like everybody else. He taught me insight that I wouldn't have never known without him, even had to ask for money. How long has it been since you asked for a raise? He asked me after I rarely spoke, and I started to take bookings in ECW. After I answered, he would say, ask for another one, but, but doesn't matter, ask for another. He seriously is the most generous man I've ever met as far as legitimately wanting to help other people out. Sabu even taught me real-life things about being a man. Sabu changed the business. If you saw ECW or Japan Wrestling, you know that he left his mark. I think most wrestlers will all agree with this. Taking a lead from the Sheik's bold ways, Sabu found a way to also be original in his own way and how to make things and how to strive to be different. He is the originator of so much and the innovator of being innovative. There are a lot of innovators who try to copy him, but he is still the first. He is the OGest of the OGs and still loves the business more than anyone today. No matter where he is right now, I know he wishes that he was in the ring 
right now. All right, that is uh, going to conclude the forward. That was from Rob Van Dam. I thought it was great. I loved how Rob was so candid about his experiences with Sabu. You know, you often hear about wrestlers being generous and wanting to help other people out. But I think, you know, when you get specifics like that, when people pull you aside and tell you, you know, ask for more money or you should do this or you should do that or, you know, the fact that he respected his uncle. But yet, at the end of the day, he was still a young guy and he still wanted to get his his own footing, and that he would try these different things. And I respect that. And I think the things that Rob said in this forward spoke volume. Um, I've always really enjoyed the work of Rob Van Dam, but I think now that I've read this, I have even more respect for him. We're going to move on to our second forward. Now, this is from Taz. As far as my first impression of Sabu, it wasn't an ECW, as some might have thought. I actually met Sabu before ECW in Minnesota at a spot show where he and I were both booked. Right away, I knew when Sabu was focused, he wanted to succeed in the business. It was extremely important for him, even as a young man. It was the same focus that I would learn and I would take from him. When we wrestled at each other for the first time in Philly in ECW, I was basically just there to put over Sabu. The whole push was for Sabu. Paul wanted to push him hard. And I knew that I was there to give him a competitive match. At that point early on, though, I felt like Sabu was going to be huge. So I was cool with it, for sure. I could tell Sabu was going to be a star soon. And I was not only honored to wrestle him, but also to be able to challenge myself to work with such a unique athlete. Now, many fans come up to us, even today, and suggest that the Taz Sabu history on screen was one of the most memorable feuds ever. Some might argue that it was Paul's pairing of us that led to it, but it wasn't just good storytelling. There was something else there. Not only did Paul see it, but both Sabu and I also saw when we would get in the ring together. Our first match, we both knew that we had some kind of chemistry, and it was happening immediately. As history shows, though, we didn't just flow right into the feud. We started slow. We spent a good amount of time together as a tag team and then saw some real success, but we honestly weren't the best of buddies. While we were working together in that team, we actually didn't like each other really that much at all, and Paul could recognize it. So, a few years after Sabu and I had been working together as a team, Paul decided to have me return from my neck injury as a pissed-off, jealous heel, and I targeted Sabu. We did that for one year straight. For the longest time, Paul didn't want Sabu to even acknowledge me on the air, and to his credit, he took everything I had to say and didn't say anything back. I actually gained a lot of respect for him then, because I know that it was probably hard for Sabu not to react on air, as I continued to call him out week after week after week on ECW television and in front of everyone. After that full year buildup, we eventually had set the stage. Both the wrestlers backstage and the ECW fans already knew that we had a lot of real tension towards each other backstage and for a long time, too. This made our match huge. When we finally got to the ring together, we kept it professional, but we were really stiff and aggressive. Our chemistry was the perfect payoff for everybody watching. Our competitive nature brought the both of us to the next level for that match. He and I were always competitive with each other due to our passion to be the number one wrestler of the company, and it paid off. Sabu truly was ahead of his time. He was always must-see TV. Even though his style was considered unpredictable, he was smart and his unpredictability was actually more like controlled mayhem. Sabu's risky style and always wanting to give his best 
often led him to getting injured. The legend of him super gluing this massive open wound together so he would be able to wrestle the next night are all true. I witnessed it myself many times because of his high tolerance for pain. I've always said he is, by far, the toughest son of a bitch I've ever wrestled against. I remember one time I clotheslined him in a match in North Carolina, and my arm caught him across his jaw. It was a very snug blow, and unfortunately, in the end, it broke his jaw. Talk about tough. Sabu missed zero time, no TV or road. That night after the match, he didn't want to go to the hospital and risk missing a flight. He just taped it up. Imagine that. It would be insanely hard to pull something off like that for most people, but not for Sabu. He did that kind of thing all the time. His work ethic was amazing, and he loved to work. While I don't really have any road stories because we didn't really travel together, looking back, there is more I would like to say about Sabu the man. Sabu was underrated. He deserves a boatload of credit for what he has done for the pro wrestling industry, not only as a man, but how he worked his ass off nonstop. He was the first guy I ever saw to incorporate tables into his gimmick. He wrestled every match like it was his last and his respect for the business was evident by his endless sacrifice as a performer. There are tons of these young, talented wrestlers out there today who have been totally inspired by Sabu. I feel more people need to say that because it's the truth. I have said it before to other wrestlers, and I will say it right here now. There will not be a Taz without Sabu. I thank him for all the matches he and I wrestled. I have nothing but the utmost respect for Sabu, both for his legacy as a wrestler and the respect he deserves as a man. So that is the Ford from Taz. Um, I guess just my own takeaways from this is that, you know, they worked together. They were both highly competitive people. They worked very snug together, but I think they both liked that. I think if it was one person was working snug and the other person wasn't, I think there might be some animosity there. But I think because they were cut from the same cloth, they both looked at it from a very competitive standpoint, much more of a sport standpoint than it was a show. I think that they gelled. Now, I also think that when Taz talks about how they didn't get along with each other, I think they're they're both A-type personalities. And I think at the end of the day, when you have two A-type personalities together, there's inevitably going to be some clashing. But... I have to give a lot of credit to Taz. I mean, he said that Sabu never bitched or complained about anything. Um, no matter how many injuries he endured, he never missed a flight. How he continued to work constantly, never wanted to take time off, even when people you know, were taking time off. So it just now talks to his work ethic again. Um, it's interesting. He tends to echo some of the same sentiments that Rob mentioned in his foreword. It, it really sheds a lot of light into who he is as a person and incredible. So we are going to be wrapping it up for this episode of Overbooked. We just went ahead and covered the two forwards. Let me know what your thoughts are. Um, was there something that Sabu did that uh, surprised you or maybe it didn't surprise you? Was there something that Taz said that surprised you or didn't surprise you? Was there something that Rob Van Dam had said or something that you found out about Sabu that you had not known before. All right. Well, I'm going to say this. Uh, please go ahead and support Front Row Material. You can support us on Twitter. You can support us on our YouTube page as well. And don't forget, each and every Tuesday night, we are streaming live on Twitch. And that is twitch.tv forward slash FRMPod. 
Um, other than that, my DMs are always open. I always love talking to wrestling fans. Please let me know if you have any memories of Sabu uh, in the early days, if you got a chance to meet him, or maybe you were at the ECW arena. Love to hear some of your thoughts and stories as well. All right, that's going to do it. I am Mike Freeland, and we will catch you next time on Overbooked. Stops.